Welcome to the Become Fire podcast, a ministry of the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to learn more about this community, visit them on the web at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. Now, here are the Friars. Hello, welcome to the Become Fire podcast. This is your willing and excited host, Brother Elijah DeLello, with you today. And uh, along with us is our wonderful priest, Father Anthony and Father Peter Teresa. Hello, hello. Hello. I'm glad you're a willing. I'm willing. <laughs> I am a willing to do it. Amen. It was Bye. the first. It was the first word that came to me. Do you think? Do you think people like have been listening and thinking that like we've been twisting your arm this whole time? You yes, need to clarify. Yes. I want to make sure people know that there is no duress. That I'm doing this of my own volition. This is. A I've been choice. questioning that this whole time. It's so <laughs> kind of funny to hear you say it. It's my public pro- proclamation that this is this is be- being done freely. But this is our our fifty first episode. So you were you were probably just listening to the fiftieth anniversary episode, and I and I like to use that word anniversary, even though it's not appropriate for for the occasion. But um, but we had two guests last time, and wouldn't you know it? This time we have a guest with us today. So Brother John Barker, who is also a Franciscan brother, but not a Franciscan father of the Holy Spirit. But Brother John, welcome. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks yeah. a lot. Brother, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're coming from and, and your your community? Sure. So, uh, as you said, I'm a Franciscan. Um, I'm a member of the Order of Friars Minor, so the initials after my name are OFM. Um, and uh, I've been living in Chicago pretty much the whole time that I've been a friar, which has been for a little over 20 years. Mm. Um, I taught scripture, Old Testament, primarily in Chicago until about a year ago. And about six months ago, I moved from Chicago to Detroit, and I've been living in Detroit since the beginning of the summer. And sometime this summer, I accidentally discovered this small group of Franciscans that I'd never (laughs) heard of. Uh, I stumbled upon them, and I met Father Athanasius and all of the brothers at St. Mary of Redford in Detroit. And now here I am on this podcast that yeah. I was, wasn't Praise expecting God. to be doing when I got to Phoenix. I think with the exception of our families, everyone could probably say they accidentally stumbled upon the I was I was actually the yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. I don't know that there's too many people that I think it's amazing and wonderful out. that you exist, but I didn't know you did until yeah. six months ago. <laughs> that seems to be the, the consensus. But uh, so brother, we're uh we are going to to take advantage of the fact that that we have with us a, a, a scholar in scripture, um, and so uh, if you wouldn't We're good mind, Franciscans like wait, this that. is this is how we do things. So he comes to visit, <laughs> and we put him to work. That's exactly right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, not just a scholar. I do want to uh, to this one. He's a PhD. Yeah, he's a PhD from Boston College with a focus in Old Testament, and wrote his dissertation on the prophet Haggai. That's right. Who you would consider the greatest of the Old Testament yeah. prophets. <laughs> 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 For the but, purposes of my publication, yes. I do. <laughs> so we, the scholar, I just want to say, let let, it, let the record be known. We have a, a real blessing here to have okay. someone who's really, well, really well, steeped you. in the word. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah I, and I appreciate that. I mean, it is true that I have the doctorate, um, so I have the PhD. But, but really, I think um, if I had to talk about my qualifications for, for even talking about this, it's the fact that, um, that I've just spent so many years as St. John Chrysostom would say, swimming in the in, in the scriptures, and I really love them. And yeah. my <laughs> academic study of the scriptures is only as valuable as, as its ability to allow me to understand the scriptures better and to hear God's word in them. And that's really what I 
what I tried to convey to my students in all those years that I was teaching, I was teaching uh, in a formal academic setting and teaching people who were preparing for ordination or, or just ministry or just trying to to enliven their own their own faith life by getting some sort of a, a certificate or program. But I've also got a lot of experience doing workshops and um, parish programs and things like that. And all of those all of those years of doing that have really taught me a lot of things. But one of the things that they've taught me is that the more that I I share my love of Scripture with other people, the more I fall in love yeah. with Scripture and yeah. therefore with the God who we meet in Scripture. Yeah. And um, I think that that's easy to say, but it is actually my experience. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, um, I liked teaching in the formal setting, but what I most liked about that was helping the students who, quite frankly, you know, they'd, they'd wander into my introduction to Old Testament course, and most of them would have probably been rather doing a lot of other things than <laughs> taking what they, pro what they assumed would be a very dry, dusty, you know course on the introduction to the old testament and then they met me yeah and i'm not dry and dusty and <laughs> i don't talk about scripture that way so i think god has been good to me by giving me the gift of teaching and the ability to convey my love of scripture and and especially my love of the way that um, we meet god in the old testament yeah. i love all of the bible of course yeah but there's something particularly challenging about the way the Old Testament talks about God that can be um, very difficult to penetrate mm. and appreciate. Um, one of my favorite um, lines from a church document, I don't typically have a lot of favorite lines from church documents. I don't read them. <laughs> I read the Bible. But um, <laughs> but is from the document from the Second Vatican Council, Dei Verbum, the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation. And in its section, when it's talking about the Old Testament and the value of the Old Testament for Christians, it says um, well, Christians should love and revere and cherish the books of the Old Testament. But one of the things it says about them is that they express quote, a lively sense of God. Hmm. I've always really liked that phrase, a lively sense of God, because I think that's what drew me to a more focused study of the Old Testament was that the way the Old Testament in particular talks about God and presents God is in fact lively. It's concrete. It's hmm. dramatic. And you have to interpret that. You got to do something with it because, you know, people are walking around chatting with God in the garden. Yeah. You know, God is showing up and talking to Abram and Sarah. And uh, especially in the first few books, the first, you know, books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the, the Torah, God is very much a character who walks on stage. Yeah. And we know from our, our Christian tradition that, that God is, is purely spiritual, that, you know, God doesn't literally walk around and chat with people. But that's that lively sense of God. It's a way of talking about God that the ancient writers, who were not stupid people, they knew that God was pure spirit, but they were comfortable talking about God that way because they knew that that was a good way of expressing who God is. How do we get to know who people are? by being around them, by having a relationship with them. That's how you get to know, that's how I know what kind of person Brother Elijah is, by getting to know you and talking to you. How do you get to know God? 
Well, if you just present people with dry, abstract theological treatises, it's not going to draw, it doesn't draw anybody, too many people, maybe a few, doesn't really draw people into being intrigued by this God. You know, who is this God? <clears throat> but the stories of the Old Testament really present God in a way that we call anthropomorphic, you know, in a human-like way. But that's how human beings relate, yeah. you know. So we gotta, you, you gotta do something with it. You can't just take it. We're not fundamentalists. We're yeah. not, you know, Catholics. We're not fundamentalists. But what a great treasure it is to have this lively sense of God presented to us. So, Brother John, I'm. Let's say I'm a average Catholic. I go to mass on Sunday. I've had this sense of the Old Testament of like, uh, you know, I've kind of tried to break in before, and I've. Maybe I found some things I like, but find kind of dry. I've never encountered this lively sense of God in the Old Testament. What would your recommendation be? What story should I read? Maybe book should I read? Or where should I get started to help me encounter this lively sense of God in yeah, the Old Testament? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, so uh, I'll start by saying what maybe you shouldn't do. You shouldn't decide, um, well, I, should, I don't know if I should say this. All right, well, you can edit this out if you don't think so. Um, <laughs> I remember many, many years ago, I decided what I was going to do was to, I was just going to read the Bible from cover to cover, right? I think a lot of people have decided that they were going to yep. do this. And, and it begins pretty well, mm -hmm. you know, your free experience of anybody listening or the, the friars here now. It begins Genesis. That's all right. That's cool. Exodus. You got to love Exodus. Yeah. Talk about a lively sense of God. Yeah. Then you get into Leviticus, it gets a little boggy and numbers, and now it's just unpleasant in parts. <laughs> and Deuteronomy is just a big long speech. And yeah. then then Joshua, what are you supposed to do with that? And then, you know, and it can get really tough. And then you start to move into the prophets, and Isaiah sounds great in the parts you rip, recognize from Advent and things like that. But then there's a lot of other stuff. If you don't, if so, if you just try and read it all the way through like that without much of a guide, you know, even like a study Bible that has some footnotes, you don't really know what you're, it's hard to make sense of it. That's, I think, one of the things that's most intimidating for, this has been my experience with teaching, is that one of the things that's most intimidating to a lot of people about the Old Testament is it's very, it's long, mm. it's, it's comes from time and place very different than ours, they talk about God and the world in very different ways than we do, and if you just try to white knuckle your way through it, you're gonna you're gonna be gritting your teeth, and I don't know how much of a lively sense of God you're gonna get. I don't know how much in love you're gonna fall with in in with Scripture that way. But God bless us all. We've many of us have tried it that way. I think that one of the things that a lot of people have found really helpful is if you can find a trusted guide to Scripture like. Um, Dr. Scott Hahn has been really a great boon to the church. I think he's been really helpful. Uh, if you ever get to take a class with Brother John Barker, OFM, he's really, <laughs> he's really right. amazing. I mean, like amazing. And um, and there are lots of other people. I mean, I think what you really need to do is you need to find a companion who loves the Bible. Yeah, <clears throat> that's what you need to find. It's like every other aspect of our faith life. You got to find somebody who's in love with it so that they can share that love with you. So you can read all the books you want, and there are lots of really good books out there, and lots of good study Bibles, and lots of good programs. But I think the best thing you can do is to find somebody who really loves Scripture, who can help help you walk through that. So like even, you know, um, just helping you, with the Old Testament in particular, 
helping you see the larger narrative arc from the very beginning. You know, it begins with this story of creation, and it's beautiful, and it's harmonious, and everything is good. And then in chapter three, it just all goes wrong. You know, and then the rest of the Bible, literally the rest of the Bible, to the very last verse of the book of Revelation, is a story of God getting it back mm -hmm. to that original harmony. You know, getting it back. The tree of life is at the beginning of the Bible and at the end of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want. We want to be, the tree of life is God. And we want to be in, in the presence of, the, of life, of God, of Christ. And there's this narrative arc that runs over that. But in order to appreciate that narrative arc and the beauty, the beauty of that narrative, you, you need help. Yeah, You really do. Because you're going to be dealing with ways of talking about God that are just going to be very different and, quite frankly, often very off-putting. For example, you know, when I, uh, when I taught my introduction to Old Testament class, and sometimes when I'll do it in a parish, I'll ask people to write down, you know, all right, be honest. What do you, what do you think of or what, do you, what have you heard about God in the Old Testament? You know, be honest. And, you know, the honest people will, will usually say vengeful, punishing, you know, judgmental, violent, etc. Yeah. You might hear merciful. You might hear faithful. You might. But yeah. the overwhelming sense that so many people have of the presentation of God in the Old Testament is to them very negative. And this is tragic to me. This is really tragic to me because it, on a theological level, it's very unfortunate because it implies that there's a radical disconnection between God's character in the Old Testament and then the God who's revealed through Jesus Christ, right? Yeah. And that's a theological problem. Okay, but most people aren't really too concerned about theological problems. It's more of a pastoral, I mean, the really big issue is it's a pastoral thing because there's so much in the Old Testament, if you have the eyes to see it and a little bit of help, that can really, I mean, I fell in love with this God. Mm. I fell in love with this God. Yeah. Um, this is a God who loves us so much. You know, we, our parents make a tragic mistake. We're deceived and we make a tragic mistake. And isn't that just, we keep, it's all of us living out that whole story. We can all relate to Adam and Eve. Yeah. And then God they're, because of that, they do die spiritually. They do die spiritually, and that's represented by the exile from the garden where God lives. So we're, we're no longer in this intimate relationship with God. But God doesn't give up on us. Yeah. God doesn't give up. Um, and, you know, there's this, the great story about God makes them close. You know, part of the, part of the, the, the implication of their, of their sin is that they suddenly feel shame. Just something none of us were ever intended to feel yeah. is shame. But we suddenly feel shame. And instead of God making that shame worse, God helps us with that by making clothing for yeah. us. And then we have to leave because there, there's something, whenever we sin, we do separate ourselves from God, and, and God can't just ignore that. But the rest of the story is about trying to get us back. Yeah, It begins with God. Okay, so there's the rest of the first part of the book of Genesis, but the real story really begins with this little old couple in the middle of nowhere. God yeah. could have chosen anybody, but God chooses this little old couple in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Old. Yeah. 
And that begins the story of a family, which mm-hmm. begins, which then leads to the story of a nation. And through that nation, God wants to become known to all, all of humanity so that all of humanity can be drawn to this loving God. Yeah. But in order to see that story, you have to be able to get past some things. Yeah. And one of the things you have to get past is this idea that God is always going to act like you think God should act. Yeah. Now, I, I remember um, you know, before I was a friar, I worked at Louisiana State University, and I would go to the to the gym on the campus, usually to, to exercise. And sometimes I would, you know, just talk to the students there in the gym. And I remember I was talking to one of the students one day and, you know, just asking him about, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And and I remember he said to me, you know, I I read the Old Testament and after I read the Old Testament, I didn't want anything to do with God. Mm. Now, how much of the Old Testament he read, I don't know. And obviously, you know, what else was going on there, I don't know. But um, I think, you know, what you were bringing up with, you know, the the kind of perception that people kind of come into the, the Old Testament with. Um, but then also, you know, what you're saying about if you track the story and you see just how bad, you know, the people screw up over and over again and that God is continuously, yeah. you know, lending a hand um, – and that we can kind of see just how merciful he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a word uh, in Hebrew uh, that that describes this. And I was wondering if maybe... Are you talking about chesed? I am talking Elijah? about that, yes. And I didn't say the word because I know you actually studied Hebrew. So there's like a little <laughs> infliction <laughs> that little, I might not have got there. but Chesed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so could yeah. you, you know, maybe yeah. talk about chesed. that? I yeah. think it helps, you know, to really right. kind of right. change the perspective. Right. Brother Elijah is referring to the fact that I mentioned this at dinner the other <laughs> night with the friars, that this is my favorite Hebrew word is chesed. Yeah. Chesed is um, often translated in our Bibles, um, sometimes as love, sometimes as mercy, sometimes as steadfast love, sometimes as loving kindness. Um, and none of those are wrong, but none of them captures the meaning of the word. Mm. And it's important to capture the meaning of this particular word because this word occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament. Um, It is by far the most frequent, the the word that is most frequently associated with God in the Old Testament Mm. is chesed. God does chesed. God is praised in uh, several Psalms for doing chesed. That's the idiom to do it. And chesed really, it it comes, like all of our language for God, it comes out of the human experience. And it's the experience of being faithful and loyal to someone with whom you have a relationship. Mm. So if it's a family member or a friend or a treaty partner in the ancient world, you make yeah. a treaty with someone, you were expected to do chesed. You were expected to be loyal and faithful. So a common way that it would be in the ancient world, which is very relevant for its usage when talking about God, is that if you were a family member um, uh, and one of your other family members was kidnapped in war, which was actually a fairly common thing in the ancient world, Mm. um, or sold into debt slavery, right, or something like that, or murdered by someone. It was the responsibility of a family member, usually um, an adult male family member, 
to rescue them, ransom them, pay for them, um, avenge them sometimes. Yeah. And this was this was like one of the most important values in the ancient world was this this loyalty and fidelity to people. And that that person, by the way, is called a goel, which is translated as redeemer. <clears throat> so the language of of Christ as redeemer is very much connected yeah. to this whole idea of you do right by people you are in relationship with. And that's what it means for Jesus to be our redeemer. It's God doing right by people that he is in relationship with, mm. even when they don't deserve it. Yeah. So chesed means loyalty and commitment, and that's the fundamental sort of motivator behind what God does. When, when we experience God doing something, or when ancient Israel would experience God rescuing them from enemies or an individual Israelite being rescued from something, a lot of the Psalms are about that. Those are examples of God doing chesed. It's experienced as mercy. It's experienced as love, and it is those things. But the foundational reality of it is that God is faithful. God is committed. And I think that's the, that's, if you want to talk about the, the theme of the overarching narrative of the Bible, it's, it's that God doesn't walk away. Yeah. God does not abandon us. And so many of Jesus' parables are about this. But all of this is rooted in stories we hear about God's relationship with very broken, sinful people. Yeah. And yes, God is just. And yes, there are times when that lively sense of God will show God. And this is what turns a lot of people off. The lively sense of God is often representing God as angry. Yeah. But the divine response to human sin is not just anger, but it does include... Or in some places, even, you know, this grief, this divine grief, we hear that in Genesis 5. You know, there's this divine grief that, that human beings are prone to this stuff. We do things that are anger-making. Yeah. Right? Yep. We do. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean, I mean, I've angered a lot of people in my life, but that doesn't mean that they stopped loving me. Mm -hmm. Right? Parents experience this all the time. So... I think you need to have that lively sense of God that, that that can be that can bring you up short and even offend you. But what we Christians need to do is, and this is I think a tendency that we have in the modern age, is to place ourselves above Scripture and to judge Scripture. Mm -hmm. I think this is a really big problem, yeah. actually a really big challenge. But I, it's it's appropriate for Catholics Christians to remember that scripture has authority over us. Scripture is, after all, the divinely authorized version of reality. Mm. It's the divinely authorized version of reality. Mm. And so, you know, we, we, we need to, to listen to it. But you can only listen to it in love. Yeah. Anything else is just going to lead to resentment or anger or being turned off, like you said, Brother Elijah. And this goes back to my response to Father Anthony's question is, you know, we need to find people who love scripture to help us really see this. And that doesn't mean ignoring the stuff that we don't like. It means figuring out what to do with that. Yeah. And it all comes down to trusting that God really is good, as our Father Francis said over and over and yeah. over again. God <laughs> is supremely good. Yeah. Scripture, that's what scripture wants us to know 
to give us hope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's so many things that I would love to talk to you about. Uh, um, one of the things that I think, um, you know, maybe if we can just go right to one of the, the things that a lot of people will read in the old Testament and kind of, it'll be a little bit of a stumbling block or they don't really understand it. Um, you know, times where the Lord will, will do, um, you know, he'll tell the people, you know, you know, make war on this, on this people and don't leave, you know, anybody alive, you know, um, what, how are we supposed to read that, you know, as, as <laughs> another Hebrew yeah. word, harem, yeah. Yeah. Harem, yeah. harem, yeah, yeah, so a nice softball question for me, yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate you making, not only, not only do we put them to work, yeah. but we just give them, yeah. you know, I, the toughest you can't question. see it out there, but I'm sweating, <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie to you. This is a really tough one. Yeah. And it's a, it, it can be a source of scandal mm-hmm. to people. And um, different people are going to have different responses to this. Mm-hmm. So um, my response might not necessarily please everybody. Sure. But um, it's important to all, – all of Scripture is inspired. Yeah. All of Scripture is, as I just said, the divinely authorized version of reality. But not all parts of the of scripture um, are closely linked with the um, with the larger human experience of God's fidelity. And what you find when you're looking at a lot of these parts of the Old Testament that's easy for us Christians to forget is that this is ultimately the story, or originally the story of. Israel's relationship with God. So we're sort of eavesdropping on a relationship. We're watching a relationship here. And the story for this is Joshua you're talking about is when when they come into the land. So this is land that was promised to the ancestors for free, Mm -hmm. promised by God um, to the ancestors beginning with Abraham and Sarah. And this is Israel coming into the land. And there are two things that have to happen when they come into the land because there's already people there. It's one, they need to make room for Israel. And yeah, if I'm not an Israelite, I'm not going to like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not going to like that. Um, but this is a land that was promised to Israel, and God is being faithful to that promise by giving Israel this land. I don't have a nice, clean answer to yeah. what I'm supposed to think about <clears throat> so. But the harem part, so that's the sound again, the harem part is, has a very important, it's an unpleasant thing, it, deeply unpleasant. That's not even the, the best word for it. It's, it's, it's horrific in places. But one of the things that we know from the Bible and we know from our own human experience, every single one of us, is that it is very easy for us to be drawn away by, from God by the allure of whatever, whether it's world, flesh, devil, combination of any of those, whatever it is. God is very clear that when Israel goes into the land, they're going to be surrounded by people who worship other gods. And they are going to be tempted to fall into the larger cultural trends, right? Again, the world. We are all susceptible to being, you know, drawing into, well, everyone else around it is doing it. And everyone else around it was worshiping a lot of different gods. And God said to Israel, you can't worship a lot of different gods. You can only worship me. Mm-hmm. 
and that was that was a different thing. That was not a usual thing. That was a big challenge, just conceptually. What do you mean we you're, you know to only worship one God? So when Israel goes into the land, God says you're going to be surrounded. You know we're going to make room for you, but you're going to be surrounded by other people, and they are going to intentionally or unintentionally draw you away from me. Mm-hmm. And I am the source of your life. I am the source of everything for you. And what you what I cannot allow is for you to be drawn away from me because that will be a disaster for our relationship, which would mean it will be a disaster for you, Israel. Yeah. So it is a it is a very harsh reality. Um, and I wouldn't have chosen it myself and i'm not necessarily saying i love it but the the motivation behind it is a very very hard-edged realism on god's part is that it is hard to be faithful to god there's a lot in our inside of us and outside of us that is going to draw us away from that and god wants to protect us from that Mm. and sometimes that means and even in our own day in different ways not like that we have to take really strong measures to protect ourselves from our own base tendencies. Mm. Like I said, a lot of people aren't going to really like that answer. Yeah. But you didn't give me any chance to prepare. <laughs> well, so that's the best one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna draw the fruit out of that that I can, which is yeah. to remember that that being faithful to God yeah. is is tough. Jesus re, Jesus warned us about that too. Yeah. Well, and I'd like to add something. Okay. Is is that the it, the pagans in Canaan were not just we're not just pagans kind of just offering some incense to some idols in their 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 bedroom or whatever the case may be that some of their practices were were wicked especially okay. the killing of children yeah um like burning uh, to the to the yeah. idol Moloch yeah. um also in Baal and then also cultic prostitution was a big yeah. problem um and so these were not like you know, some friend down the street who's actually a really good guy, very virtuous, doing good things, but, you know, he kind of he worships the wrong god. We're talking about people whose very worship of their pagan gods was was wicked, and they, oftentimes the killing of their own children and offering of sacrifice to these gods. True, too. Yep. And just with uh, just to re-echo the point you've been making since the beginning is that um, that is an un- uncomfortable this this might make us um, that we don't stand above the story and judge it. That in some way this story still has to to judge us and speak to us. And so, um, if at the very least it just humbles us before God that we can't always get our heads around, um, then then that's also just a good thing. Yeah. That that um, you know that that it is just that that the, the temptation to stand above scripture and then to, to judge yeah. it. But we want to, yeah. we, we want to resist that even, yeah, even yeah. in these parts that are really, really hard for us and in, in our modern sensibilities to, yeah. to reconcile. Maybe even especially in those parts, because yeah. then we're called to some probably conversion of some sort. And it's also important to remember that the Catholic faith teaches us that we can never read one little part of scripture mm. completely abstracted from everything. All of scripture is the word of God. And the Catholic practice has been from the very beginning that you always read any particular part of scripture within the larger context, not only of the rest of the Bible, but of the Catholic tradition. So you can't, that's another thing that we can fall into is like just 
dealing with little bits and pieces of scripture as if there's not this whole other context in which they have to be understood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are very grateful uh, for your for your presence here, for answering my hard questions. <laughs> um, but it's it's been a great episode. It's been really good to have you here and yeah, to thank you very much. share your wisdom with us, your learning. Um, but it's it's time for me to ask you a question. A very, very easy question, hopefully. <laughs> but uh, so usually we'll end the episode with um, just just a personal question, something to to share with the the viewers. Uh, we've probably asked this question before, but I'm going to ask it anyway since you're here. But what is your uh, favorite book in the Old Testament? Um, we don't have a ton of time, and so maybe the answer is obvious for us. But or can I say a favorite book or favorite character? Oh, you're you're usurping his authority as the question. Uh, okay, then no, no. I, I, I don't I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> favorite book or favorite character? Um, so this is like asking to choose from among my different children. Right? <laughs> uh, so uh, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, I did write my dissertation on a very unknown book in the among the prophets Haggai. And so I have a special love for all thirty six verses of this book, which I spent many many years studying. Yeah. My favorite book of the Bible to teach has been and always will be Exodus. Mm. I love the book of Exodus. Um, and uh, it is such an important book for our faith. It's such an important book. And it's been the source of so much amazing theology and yeah. spirituality. So I really, I really like that. I also have... There's a part of me that really likes the book of Ecclesiastes because mm. Ecclesiastes struggles with the question of the meaning of life yeah. and how do you understand it when we don't have the full picture on anything. Yeah. And I can relate <laughs> to that. And so that's that's my favorite in what's called the wisdom literature, yeah. I would say Ecclesiastes. And then my favorite book among the prophets besides Haggai is Jeremiah. Mm. And I like Jeremiah um, because Jeremiah struggles with his relationship with God. Yeah. And again, in a divinely authorized version of reality, it's good to see a holy person struggling with their relationship yeah. with God. Yeah. It gives me permission to be honest with God about my own struggles with yeah. God. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Father? Um, well, I'm going to do what he did then. I'm going to say my favorite book of the Torah is Genesis. And probably my favorite book what? overall. Um, sorry. Well, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a great answer. <laughs> but he's allowed. Oh, okay. I'm not allowed. Okay. Then I go with Genesis. So I'm, I guess I'm not allowed to talk anymore. So there it is. Genesis. I mean, you can just read it over and over and over again. And it's yeah. so deep. And just, it's, it's, it's the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Genesis is. Yeah. I, um, I'll give it. So, no, I, one book. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, everybody. So I, um, I, I really, I was, I almost took the name Ezekiel as a religious name. So I love, I love the book of Ezekiel. But um, no, okay, good, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just want to say that uh, Genesis is my favorite. And uh, when I was doing RCIA, and it came time to tell the story of salvation history. I think I gave myself like two or three classes for it. Mm -hmm. And after the first night, I got through like Genesis 1. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> That's <laughs> this right. Is, yeah. This is uh, this is my my curriculum is, is, is not working. But uh, just those stories are so deep and so great yeah. and so beautiful. So, so Genesis is mine. I think mine's Isaiah. Um, <clears throat> I just like the the different 
know, the three sections there, it's, you can get a little bit of everything. You know, if you're, if you're looking for a little lamentation and woe, you can get some of that. And if you're looking for some hope and... When are and, you uh, ever looking for lamentation and woe? Sometimes you just need to read a little in <laughs> lamentation and woe, you know? It's, but uh, once again, uh, thank you, brother, for being here with us. Yeah, and, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me. Would you mind uh, just saying a prayer for us? And then, Father Peter Teresa, maybe if you can give a blessing at the end. Yeah, do you mind if I do a Franciscan prayer? No, we would love that. Okay, so in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Most high, glorious God, enlighten the darkness of our hearts. And give us true faith, perfect hope, and certain, perfect, certain hope and perfect charity. Sense and knowledge, Lord, that we may carry out your holy and true command. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May I to God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks, Thanks be, to be to God. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Become Fire podcast. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit can be found online at www.becomefire.faith. That's dot F-A-I-T-H. The Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit are also a 501c3 charitable organization. If you feel called in any way to give financially to their mission, please go to www.becomefire.faith slash give. That's becomefire.faith slash give. May the Lord give you his peace. We'll see you next time.